0: Welcome to Hit for Six. We're back. It's been quite a while. It's been sort of three months and we're a cricket podcast and it's been the summer. So we've missed quite a lot, Michael. We'll explain why in a second, but it's great to be back speaking to you. How are you?
1: I'm good. I want to apologise to our scores of fans, the two or three people that have asked me what's going on with the podcast. because We have missed some interesting cricket, but I'm good. I've had a nice summer. We were just talking before the pod we about it's been a bit ad hoc plans popping up here and there a bit stressful but it's been fun how about
0: you yeah I mean only two or three I I think I've had double figures of people ask me either how's the podcast going which shows they don't listen and think we're still releasing episodes or what's happened I have there haven't been any episodes for a while so there, there's definitely an appetite for hit for six out there still um, yeah I'm, I'm I'm good thank you I've had an interesting a mixed summer uh, I was kind of polaxed by coronavirus for a little bit of it but now fully recovered which is good and I've enjoyed some fantastic cricket particularly the series against India which has been a a real treat a real highlight Uh, so I suppose for listeners benefits uh, a little explanation as to why we've been silent for so long Uh, effectively life just got very very busy and for myself particularly with um, work I know Michael you've had some various work things going on but also we're allowed to socialise again and go watch cricket and do lots of things and see people and there was the Euros and then I was ill for a couple of weeks. That was that, those two weeks gone and then there's a little holiday and through all of that, the time to catch up, get on Zoom, talk about cricket, one thing, but then go away, edit it and upload it as well, just kind of ran away from us. So it means that there has been a, a long hiatus in Series 3, uh, but we're going to be back with at least three, maybe four episodes uh, before we kind of do have a proper break for the winter we're going to discuss this England India series that's been ongoing now we'll then review it at the end of the series we'll have a special episode dedicated to the 100 we won't speak about the 100 today but I thought it would be worth talking about that how we thought it went are we fully converted are we not Uh, and then as well of course with the World T20 on the horizon in the UAE in the autumn we'll definitely look towards that as we hope England double it up really and win both Men's World Cups Um, Michael, that sounds like a plan, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it sounds cracking. And yeah, we apologise. We have been having fun. We have been watching cricket. We actually went to a game together. We've gone to a couple of games together, haven't we, Rob? We're going to a game together sort of on Thursday, day of the third test. So, you know, we've been getting our fill of cricket. We've just not been communicating it to everyone. So, but we're back on it now. And I'm really excited to talk about what has been an enthralling first couple of tests in a really good five-match series which is exactly what you want, isn't it? You want a proper long series where narratives can develop between players, between the teams. It goes back and forth. Like I'm, I was listening to the Great Cricketer podcast before this, sec- before this third test. And they were just saying, and I, I agreed, this England team just don't look like a team's going to win a test. Injuries left, right, centre. Joe Roots, the only one scoring runs. Where are they going to win it. And then you blow away India for 60-odd in the first innings. And it's just, it's crazy. So it's been a really fun series. What have been your thoughts on it so far,
0: yeah kind of similar i mean the, it's difficult. I don't really know what i what I make of it. One of the weird things about this India team is that they the, they also had this amazing series with Australia in the over the winter then they had a although it ended up being quite a one-sided series against England England got off to a great start in that series in India uh, and then this series now is they have these games where they don't really turn up and they just get pumped. It's, they got bowled out for a pitiful total in Adelaide back in the winter. Bowled out for seventy-eight on day one this time round. Awful. We so it's just weird. They're not like every game is necessarily a nail biter. Obviously, the one at Laws was a really great game, but this one was just really one-sided. was just is a, a bit of an odd dynamic. That they're so good, they've got great um, named players, but occasionally they just kind of fall apart a bit.
1: But there's there's still that fear factor, though, isn't there? Like, I know you said this result was one-sided and it did turn out to be in the end. But there was just a little bit of me. And there's a little bit in other people as well. Maybe not you, Rob, because you're a very confident person. There's just a little bit of me when they're 200 for two. They're 100 odd behind with eight wickets in hand. We know that England, you know, collapse like jellyfish if they're chasing any kind of a total in the fourth innings, sticking in the face that indie aggression. There's just a little bit of me that's wondering, are they about to do something here? Because... The, the, the way they turned around games in Australia was absolutely mad with no players fit at all. And there's just that fear factor, I think. But no, England did win comfortably in the end. Should we go back to that second test, though? Um, and we talk about well, what I think has been the best test of the series so far.
0: Actually, quickly, let's touch on the, the first test, where that, it was all set up to be a thriller, and then it rained on the final day, on the Sunday. Who do you think would have gone to win that? With India needing, what, 150, 180, something like that more, seven, eight wickets in hand... Who who who? Where was your who's your money behind going into that that fifth day At of the time, first time
1: I felt optimistic for England on reflection. In hindsight, I'm pretty glad it rained from an England, you know, partial perspective because I think they probably would have chased it down. I think mean, that team is very well suited chasing down totals. Then, your team, um, and yeah, I think England probably just about got away with it. Who knows? Who knows what could have happened? Because like you said, these two teams are very unpredictable. I think they probably would
0: have squeaked home. What about you? Yeah, exactly the same. I was gutted. It was raining. I thought we were going to skittle them and we were going to win it. It was going to be cloud. It's going to nip around <laughs> everywhere. We we're going to take a load of wickets, and it was England were like India got away with one. And then after kind of what seeing what happened at Lords, I changed my mind. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I don't know. I think I kind of kind of glad that it rained then because they didn't have that many runs to get and they probably would have got them. So um, yeah, exactly the same. Probably England got away with one, but. Hey, it's one of those sort of alternative history type of things. You know, who, What would have happened if Germany had won the war? Sort of like this, you don't know. Although that's a grossly inappropriate comparison given the consequences of the two, the two different events.
1: We like to talk about books in this podcast, and I've actually got a great non cricket book recommendation for our listeners based on that comment you just said. Brilliant alternative history fiction novel called Dominion, and it's very, very good, set in what would have happened, I think, if. Um, I think it's either if America hadn't joined the war or if England had continued appeasement, the appeasement policy and completely different world setting. And yeah, very, very good fiction novel. Dad gave it to me for Christmas a few years ago, ripped through it by Boxing Day, I think. Um,
0: and even my dad's read that. And my dad has read probably 10 books in my lifetime. He, not, not because he um, doesn't like it. He's, he's heavily dyslexic. So he finds reading very difficult. Uh, and he even he got through that one, thought it was a belter. So there we go. Go away and read Dominion. Um, but I, would,
1: I did just want to say back to cricket, you know, away from books, back, away from literature, great literature, um, but back to cricket. That first test was particularly notable for me. I watched a lot of it because I was feeling a bit unwell after a fairly big night, evening the, the night before. But watching that Joe Root century in the first test felt quite emotional, to be honest, because I just love watching Joe Root bat. I love that he goes to 20, off, 20 balls instantly. And watching that partnership, I think it was with Sibley, Simply complete polar opposite to Root at the other end. But Root just purring along. And I was really willing him there. He was get, he was dragging us back into that game. I mean, the fact that you thought we were going to skittle them and we were still in the game, as did I on that final morning, was entirely down to Joe Root's batting brilliance. And he's operating on another level. And it's just continued from that test. But that's my standout memory from that test, that wonderful knock of Joe Root's bits of it, a little bit frenetic, bits of it, a little bit skittish, but constantly moving, being nightmare to captain against. I'm just really enjoying watching Joby at the moment.
0: Aren't we all? Uh, we'll come on to him a little bit more, given uh, his heroics in the next two Test matches as well. That that second day, uh, sorry, that second Test at, at Lord's then, how monumental a capitulation would you say day five was?
1: It was awful, wasn't it? And I think I've seen some people and some people have said to me, well, it doesn't matter that we bowled badly at them on that morning because we, we got bowled out for 120 anyway. We weren't going to chase anything over 120, but it is on the day. I think mean, momentum between tests is a bit nonsense sometimes as the couple of tests previously have shown, but on the day, momentum is massive. And again, I'm referencing another podcast. that The great cricketer was making this point. You know, if your numbers nine, 10, 11 have boshed some silly runs and your changing rooms, laughing about it. And they're laughing and the other team can see them laughing. And there's such a power shift and dynamic there. And suddenly India absolute cocca hoop and they're gonna bowl up. They are gonna skittle us out. And you could then see by the way that we were zero for two. It, we bowled so badly on that final morning. We got there's been a lot of arsenal about, so I won't talk about it too much, but emotions got the better of them, they're trying to bounce Boomer out, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it just put outside of stumbling on Nick it. I mean, we and amazing day for Boomer and Shammy, and fair play to them. Like it was actually in a you know slightly painful way, quite fun watching. But we really bottled it. And then obviously the batting wasn't great, but I could, you could see it coming from a mile off, couldn't you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think momentum in cricket games, it even happened to, to me yesterday. I was playing a club game. We were 37 for seven. And then we got up, we ended up on 135 all out. And then suddenly we had them three down for hardly anything. And that you saw the momentum shift in that game. They thought they had it won. They didn't finish us off. And then we were into them the moment they were, they were chasing. And so, yeah, when... Particularly when but often bowlers score runs, they then feel like they're the world's best cricketer and come in and, and bowl really well. Mitchell Johnson always used to do that. If He'd scored some runs batting, confidence was up and suddenly bowled really well. And so for Boomer Shami, they were well up for it. And before you before you knew it, yeah, England were, They the moment those two wickets went down, you thought, oh, here we go. You just kind of knew how the rest of it was going to unfold and it really did. You
1: also just knew, like, oh, it's on Joe Root again,
0: and he can't keep doing it all by himself.
1: Yeah. We, I want to ask, though, Rob, were you part of this miraculous recovery yesterday in your cricket match? Because I know you bat lower down the order. So did you play a role in that getting up I, to 100? I
0: played a role. The um, person who went in before me, batting nine, scored 25. We had num- number three was in the whole way through. So he scored 70 odd, number three. Uh, and the guy came in at nine, 25. So they put on about 70 together. And then I put on another 20 with the number three number three got out and then me and the number 11 put on seven or eight before he got out because I, I love I love a red inker on play cricket 70 percent of my innings have been not out because you know that's how you build when you got a top score of 27 <laughs> how you build the average is through not outs rather than anything else
1: how did you bowl did you tear into them
0: no not really I bowled all right I was like one for 30 from 10 something like that you were there you were there you were at, you were part of the heading of it's miracle you know well, so we, we ended up losing by one wicket, so it, it wasn't such a good um, end oh, point. We I'm had them 100, 100 for eight, and then they had one guy still he got 60 on, and they, they just crept over the line.
1: I'm sad I asked more questions. That should have been left to imagination. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We talk a, a bit more just that second test. Joe Root again, you know, unbelievable, <laughs> that first innings, particularly as no one was staying with him. Everyone got a start that innings. I think almost everyone got into the 20s, and everyone just kept getting out. Um and Joe Root's just there batting, batting, batting. Lovely to watch. He's going to hopefully break the record for most runs. I think he's got another 390 or to go. And it, it, I don't know about you, Rob, but it felt to me like you know he put away the Sri Lankan bowlers at the start of the year with ease, and the and then that first India test against a slightly misselected bowling attack, he did brilliantly again, but then like the rest of the back couldn't quite cope with Axel Patel and the madness that followed. And he kind of just wondered, oh, is it going to be back to Joe Root scoring 50s, looking great, but not quite able to convert. But he's carried on that ruthlessness, which he showed at the start of the year. And it's amazing to watch.
0: It is. I, And I think he may well break those records sort of most test runs in the calendar year. That sort of thing. I did see, I'll see if I can pull it up now. The person he's chasing is obviously Muhammad Yusuf. Yeah. Who's... 2006 was absolutely absurd only played 11 matches 19 innings 1788 runs an average of 99.33 which yeah, is that's put it into context slightly doesn't it because part of the reason i mean joe rick's batting
1: amazingly but part of the reason he's in line to break it is because he playing more tests than anyone else in the world so he gets a lot of opportunity
0: yeah but i i think the thing that's more remarkable in a way is where he's now setting up in terms of most percentage Mm-hmm. of team runs scored and he's the highest ever, which says a lot about the rest of our batting, but I think also does say about the weight of runs he is he is scoring. Because he's always hundreds, you know, they're 180s. They're they're double hundreds. They're they're massive scores. They're daddies. Do you yeah.
1: remember on, on subjects of daddies, do you remember our podcast of our fathers? And I think one of them whipped out the stat. I think it might be my dad. And we were talking about should Joe Root be in our all-time England test eleven, which now when you look back at it, it's absurd that we even had an episode debating it. But I think my dad pulled out a stat that Joe Root has the record for the most times he's been the top scorer in a team in, in an innings, and it's an absurd amount. And, yeah, it's probably just getting worse and worse, isn't it, in terms of how much percentage of Joe Root are, of our runs are scored by Joe Root. But no, That test was... I felt a bit shell-shocked afterwards because it was a wonderful test, and, you know, I really enjoyed it, but, God, that was a bad final day.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I was maybe... It's funny how things... Change perspective, and it often even a year, six months, a year, but even a week, a couple of weeks in sport, and suddenly your verdict, what your verdict was, looks ridiculous, and that's definitely the case for me with uh, with that test. I went to a curry with my cousin that evening, and he doesn't really like cricket. And I was telling him how it was the worst day of English cricket in England I can remember. And in a way, I still think it is, because we really threw it away. And we haven't had many very, very bad days in England. We've had lots of pretty horrid days away from home, particularly the test team. But not too many as bad as that. From that position, that operator threw throw it away in quite that way. But now it doesn't really seem like that much, that bigger a deal, the way we came storming back in that in that third test. What... I, I was I couldn't believe it. Let's move on to that 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 game. I, I was kind of head down at work, checked in the score at four o'clock to see us sort of 60 for no loss, having bowled them out for 78. And but what what have I missed? This is unbelievable. That's very unfortunate that you didn't get to see any of it. I I had
1: it on in the background with my housemate and got to see a fair bit of it and it was it was wonderful. It was spectacular. Um very gratifying to see Hasiba Ahmed score some runs, but we'll get on to the England innings in a minute. Let's talk about that bowling effort because it was unbelievable. James Anderson at 39, he's bowling the quickest he's ever bowled in Test cricket. His average must be in the teens. He's just absurd. He's 39. Apparently, he doesn't even bowl in practice anymore because. he he saves it all for games. He just keeps his fitness up. And sometimes when he walks on the field, he can barely feel his arm, but he's still basically on muscle memory alone is one of the world's best bowlers. It's just, it's madness. He set the tone. And then to be fair, I wasn't expecting big things from the rest of the attack. And they, they stepped up as well. Overton's best test for England, you'd say. Ollie Robinson continuing his good start. Sam Cohen for once doing something. So fair play to the whole bowling attack because it blew them away.
0: I think in Robinson, England have found like a serious, serious bowler. He's not like there's there's always been other options. Yeah, if Broad and Anson don't play, we've got other bowlers that'll do the job. Overton's a good example. Wokes is pretty decent, particularly at home. Curran's left armers maybe aren't aren't quite up to it, but they're all right. Woods pretty good. Yeah, and there's obviously our archer when fully fit is a is a serious prospect there's lots of good bowlers but i think in robinson we have found someone that I, i'm relaxed i'd be relaxed with the england bowling attack in a year or two with no answer no broad and ollie robinson as our main man i think he is that good certainly in england we'll see how he gets on abroad. he's obviously pace isn't right up there he sort of sits on sort of a gentle 80 miles an hour but because he's because he's tall and he can kind of push it through a little bit quicker, gets kind of awkward bounce. Maybe he will be effective uh, abroad as well. But I think he, he's just bowling magnificently, and that how he cleaned up India on yesterday morning, Saturday morning, was a delight in particular. I think the thing about him for me is, yeah, he does. He's not super quick, but he's
1: just about quick enough. He's a bit quicker than Overton. Like he, he's, I'd say, he's more sort of pushing towards the eighty-five mark if he really, if he's in rhythm and stuff. And I think because of his height, like you said, that's quick enough. And he does find that awkward bounce. And I think I've seen this written a few places and I agree. He's a thinking cricketer. He's a thinking bowler. Like he's always trying to work out different ways of getting the batsman out. He's really perfected his craft playing for Sussex. I think he got asked, are you surprised by how quickly you're doing well in test cricket? And his answer was no, because I should have been playing two years ago. Because he believes he's been a standout bowling in cricketer cricket for years and he hasn't been getting picked. And he's probably right because on this evidence. So, no, he's looking great. I'm never ever going to be relaxed about an attack without Anderson. I am increasingly relaxed about, I mean, you know, we're always wrong. He always comes back and proves us wrong. I think the writing might be on the wall a little bit for Stuart Broad. Um, I think he might be struggling a bit to get his place back as an automatic starter. I think there's a case, especially abroad, that you can't play Anderson and him in the same team. And seeing as Anderson doesn't seem to be slowing down whatsoever, leaves a bit less room for Broad with Robinson coming through. Um, On the other two, Overton did bowl well. I'm still pretty confident that I don't think he's like a very good overseas pick, but I think he bowled well and maybe he has put on that mythical yard. I mean, I don't think he has, but maybe he has put on that mythical yard. Sam Curran shouldn't be in the England team and he'll get dropped for Wokes in the next test and that's good because I mean, Barney Ronay tweeted like Sam Curran has made a career out of the smallest anything a test cricketer has made a career of because he's not good enough at bowling, he's not good enough at batting, but he's always in that, he's always around for the makes things happen stuff, the golden arm stuff. And
0: I don't know, I'm getting increasingly frustrated by it, to be honest. What are your thoughts? Uh, Yeah, he's, I mean, he'd be the most ideal player to have on a club side, you can imagine. Bowls like useful, whippy, left arm seam, can biff it about a bit, top fielder. He's everything you want. But in Test cricket, where you really are looking, he's got to be yeah, if you're going to be an all-rounder, you need to be a really good bowler who can also bat or a really good batsman who can also bowl to qualify as a test all-rounder. You can't just be sort of all-rightish at both, which is what he is when it comes to that that level. So I, I agree with you. Um I do. I love a golden arm, though, who takes a wicket or two. I play, I mean, again, going back to this game yesterday, we've got a guy opens the batting. he can't bowl for Toffee, really. We throw him on because we're desperate for a wicket. He bowls a horrendous full toss and the bloke just scoops it to mid on. Uh, and we break the key partnership and suddenly the game's back on. So there is something for a golden arm. But I feel that at that top level, you probably, you probably want a golden arm. He's actually going to take regular, consistent wickets and average below 30.
1: No, I think you're right. And you know what? we Everyone says, our oh, current needs to go away and get become top class at one of these two things. But is the incentive there? Because he knows that he can continue to be in and around this test team, which isn't a great test team, at his current level, he's always going to be in squads. He's always going to be in the ODI setup. up. He's always going to get comfortable the world. Does he need to go away and become a top quality bowler, top quality batsman, really?
0: No. Particularly with the franchise stuff. Oh, I'd always get a gig in a An IPL or a a big bash. Uh, he's, he's easily good enough for that standard, just yeah. below international top-level test cricket. You know, franchise... He's a very, very, very talented cricketer. So he could just make a bomb playing franchise stuff. I'm probably doing it for ages as well. He'll still be knocking about when he's probably 30, if he if he wants to, when he is that Anderson age, pushing 40, bowling little left armors and biffing it about a bit, playing kind of franchise cricket. Uh, I think that's where he'll he'll increasingly move in time.
1: Because he's so young, I cannot picture a 40 year old Sam Cohen like being an evergreen, Ricky Clark, James Anderson kind of figure. I just can't picture it. Maybe his arms have grown a bit by then. Because at the moment he looks I mean, I'm a young per- looking person, but he looks so young. I can't picture him as a 40 year old playing test cricket. He's, he's, he's
0: got to whack him in that in those face aging apps, and you'll you'll get a picture yeah. for what for what he might might be like. I'm getting a bit bored of seeing those faces that like, oh, Jimmy Anderson in
1: 2050 and he's grey and whatever. I'm just like, he looks like that now. Like, come on. like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: this, yeah. This and there's uh, BBC did a whole thing. Like, Sam Curran retires at 39 and James Anderson sloping the bowling with it. So, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Let's yeah. move
1: on. Um, I, just finally, Maureen. I feel for Jack Leach, but Maureen's a very good player. Arguably shouldn't have been dropped the first time. Arguably got mismanaged in the Tour of India. He's still a quality bowler. He's had a great 100. And he's come in with that confidence. Couple starts at the bat, not pushed on, but I think bowled really well with the ball. And he's not had to play a big role yet, but he's bowled well, bowled a couple of absolute danger seeds in the um, in the last test. So yeah, I think he's I think he's slotted right back in.
0: And I think with no Stokes, the all round the balance he brings is really nice when you you can have four proper seamers current's a bit bits and pieces but if you remove current in wakes like four proper seamers a couple of them can bat a little bit but then you've got a proper all rounder who's the spinner so when it's stokes in there then you feel perhaps you can justify having leech and just going with the three frontline seamers so i think it's it's partly a team balance thing as well but um i don't like it when we play with no spinner and roots our spinner i hate it yeah i really really don't like that so Therefore, that they provides a the natural place for Moeen in, in the side. The prospect of
1: David Milan bowling a leg spinner at some point, and we're going to get onto the batting. But David Milan should be coming on as a golden arm to break the partnership, not Joe Root. Just that's that's one thing I will say, and I will agree with Bumble. I really agree with Bumble, but he was saying it incessantly. I think on day, whatever it was, Friday of this most recent test. But I would like to see a loopy leg spinner come on occasionally.
0: Yeah, I we've we've briefly met David Milan through a. A friend of mine from school, and we met him after a Middlesex T20 game where he had opened the bowling with his leg spin and the over had gone for sort of 20. And so afterwards, I sort of made a sort of jokey comment that you'd make to someone who takes these things in quite a lighthearted way. Well, a decent first over from you, mate, with a leg spin. He did not find it funny. He was just, I just got a complete deadpan back. Yeah, well, I thought that maybe we could, he's not good against spin. So I thought I'd get wicket, but it didn't work out. Straight, straight back. But Seeing that seeing that appear in test cricket would would be nice. See if he can n- nick a couple of wickets. Should we talk about um,
1: you know what he actually does, his batting? And should we talk about Hamid a little bit because tell you what, it wasn't just Joe Root who scored the runs. I mean, obviously he scored a ton. That's what Joe Root does. But Hamid hit fifty, Burns at fifty, Milan hit fifty. First time I think since twenty thirteen was the stat that all of England's top four fit a fifty. Maybe it was 2016, I can't remember. There's a
0: big, there's something, there's a lot of first times since 2016 on a whole load of things. I think there was one game where they all just piled on tons of runs. And so that's like the last time that's kind of a benchmark. I can't quite remember the game.
1: I sad about that game though, Rob. That test we piled on the runs, I'm pretty sure we batted first, scored 400. Then India scored 600 in the second innings. Yeah, (laughs) Karun Karun
0: Nair scored 3, scored a triple hundred.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, we batted really well. It's not very nice that they could fit in a collapse. I really appreciated that. You know, let's put on a massive total, lead of 300 odd, but let's also still get a collapse in of six wickets, 30 odd runs. Like, you know, give the fans what they want. But great to see Hameed, um back in the runs, especially after that heartbreaking golden duck at Lord's. The only thing is, I really enjoyed how he batted um, on the first day. Then he got a bit stuck on the second day. But on the first day, he was dropping and running. He was being proactive. He was doing all the things that, unfortunately, Dom Sibley completely stopped doing. And on the second day, that kind of stopped. He got dried up, then got pulled by a very good ball from New Asia. And you do think he needs to keep that up. He need, They need him and Burns needs that thing of keeping the scoreboard ticking, which I do think is what costs Sibley his place. And I do feel a bit for Sibley because I was making this point to someone who was really bashing on him. He really, The media really got after him. And they do that. They pick someone and get dropped and they go after them. And he probably was deserving of being dropped. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Joe Root has been scoring a lot more runs coming in after much more defensive openers have now been batting and soaking up some balls. They've not been putting big starts on, but Joe has been coming in 10th over 20th over 30, you know, been coming in later and he's seeing runs. And I don't think that's a coincidence. So I do think simply played a bit of a role.
0: Yeah, I agree. There was a lot of. um, Sibley bashing. And with that, there was also a lot of Burns bashing, which really annoyed me, because he's actually had a really good summer. So when they both got out for ducks in their collapse on the Last Debt Laws, there were all these uh, tweets and texts going in saying, you know, worst England opening pair ever, like, worst England opening pair I've ever seen, all this kind of stuff. I even made a sarky comment to my boss who said he'd had a nice holiday camping with his son, looking at um, chickens and horses in a field. I said, I've been watching two ducks in a field for the last three days, uh, referencing Sibley and Burns. And was is a witty comment, but I don't think it's fair on Burns because even looking at this summer, he got 130 odd against New Zealand at Lords and 80 against uh, New Zealand at Egberston. He got 49 at Lords in the first innings against India and followed up with a 61. Like they, these scores aren't failures. Now, there are also three ducks thrown in there, which is worth which is worth noting as well, but I feel the whole Burns Sibley thing got thrown together when in reality Sibley probably has proven not to quite be up to it, it doesn't have enough scoring shots to be able to function as a test match batsman in the long term. But Burns definitely is, so I'm pleased he did well again. And I hope now that the kind of if Hamid and Burns won both of them do okay, that sort of like bandwagon, jumping on the, oh, aren't they terrible? Aren't they the worst openers ever? Which was never the case. Is sort of put put to rest because that was hyperbole for the sake of it, I'd say. Do
1: you think you're right about Sibley? I, I think he'll be gutted because I don't think it was that he didn't have the shots to thrive, but I don't think he was proactive enough in filling in the gaps. you get what I mean? He didn't have a lot of shots. But I'm sure if he'd been a bit more proactive, he could have picked up more ones and run more proactively. You know, that sort of thing. And it doesn't matter if he's a bit of a limpet, as long as he's hitting the occasional single. It's just the amount of maidens. He'd just leave, leave, leave. And you're right, he, he wouldn't hurt bowling teams. But actually, he soaks up balls. I think he made it easier for a batsman sometimes. But if he, if he is going to come back in any capacity, he needs to work on that. And yeah, Hamid looked good on that first day, particularly, because he was doing all that proactive stuff so fingers crossed and Darren Milan looked class he looked really good not many he was a little bit boundary 15 dot balls boundary 15 dot balls in the first bit of his innings lovely couple lovely cover drives but on on the whole he looked test match standard
0: yeah and it was he kind of you talk about that air of confidence like Ollie Robinson oh well obviously I'm good enough I should have been playing for the team two years earlier Milan had that same kind of swagger to him like he re-entered the team been like, I oh, you know everyone's been slagging off our batting, but well, it's not that we don't have the players, it's just they haven't been picking the right ones that I should be playing, and I'm easily good enough for this team. He's had that sort of feel about him, probably confidence boosted by the fact he'd been absolutely killing it in the 2020s for a little while. So that he's older. he's, you know, he's had a crack at test cricket before, so it's not new. He's now been successful at international cricket in the limited overs, at least. I mean, he scored the test 100 before, but he, he, you know, he felt he there was no nerves, no, no kind of concerns. Am I good enough? It was just the arrival of the, in his eyes, the person who should have been playing all along. Uh, he's probably right, probably should have been playing all along. And so I am I'm, I'm feel, you don't want to speak too soon, but for me, suddenly, it's still, Hamid's still got more to prove. But for me, I just feel really relaxed now about the middle order with at least Milan and Roots as that 3-4. I mean, I'm not quite so convinced by the lower middle order. they are too many 20s and 30s, not enough 100s. From, from Butler and Bearstow in particular. But no, I feel so much more at ease with my batting, even going into the Ashes with Milan. I, you know, I can see us, there was that fear of us getting bowled out for under 100 or under, certainly under 150, under 200, multiple, multiple times. But you now think, well, if Root comes off at least three times, if Milan comes off twice, if they come off together, then great, we'll go get a big score in a game. But even if they come off individually, we're always going to be getting to an all right score. And so I'm, yeah, I'm right on the David train and I'm very happy he's back.
1: I mean, your text to me, Rob, was David Milan should never have been dropped, which did make me laugh because you haven't said that for two years. So it was very nice to hear that. Uh, it was as if you'd been saying this to me for two years. But, you know, fair enough. You're now saying it. You're on, the, you're, you're on that train. I'm on
0: the train. It's, honestly, it was about three balls in I was on the train. I was like, ah, class, love it. Bring <laughs> it <Good> on. <laughs> you know sometimes it's it's easy to say like i, I think it's one of the things you, we, you can make it's like uh to use again sorry, in a, a very inappropriate but current analogy it's now easy to say the u.s should never have decided to withdraw from afghanistan this year that's that's a state that's true yeah. whether people were saying that or agree with that in january is a different matter because hindsight's a wonderful thing so it's, it's kind of same with David Milan at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, drop it, whatever. He's not good enough. We need to find someone else. But I've changed my tune now.
1: Yeah, fair enough. You did mention the lower order not convincing you. And there is an interesting thing happening at the moment. Berto's come back in. As he always does, he's looked really good. He's hit a few 20s. He's hit a 50. And he is suddenly looking, you know, a bit more like the Berto you want to see. You want, you want him to kick on. He, every time he's got out, it seems to be in a silly way, which is frustrating. But he's kicking on a bit. Root looks happier batting next to him. So it's hopeful. And what is a very interesting angle is that it looks like Butler's missing the next test. Bairstow's taking the gloves. And there's a genuine chance we might not see Butler play again in Test cricket. Because he's about to become the white ball captain. And I saw a a journalist I rate quite highly, Ben Jones, he was tweeting about this. So I'm jumping on his train. But Butler's about to become the white ball captain. He's not going to have as much time for Test cricket. Um, bestows suddenly looming back into view with the gloves on, Butler's looking like he may not go on the ashes, but there's a really decent chance Butler might just decide to you know, I'm a quality cricketer, I'm one of the best white ball players in the world, I'm going to focus on that and it could be that that's the end of Butler which will be a bit sad because I know you in particular, you've got such a high opinion of his talent level you just think he's got to come off and he has at points, but this summer's been a bit disappointing again It
0: has been, I mean I don't think we've I am very confident we'll see Josh Butler play Test Cricket again, just due to the primarily just the number of games we play. We always need someone. Um, but I, I I don't think... I, I see that now. I can see how that could unfold. Right? I don't think that's necessarily the, the way things will go. Uh, but yeah, it just, it just really annoys me. Because there are other wicketkeeper batsmen who look... And basically, I'm thinking, when I say others, I'm thinking Mohamed Rizwan, who's amazing in limited-over stuff, and he pings it. But then in test cricket he looks really tidy as well and scores loads of runs. Why can't Josh Butler be like that? But he just I mean just the, get situ- out.
1: the situation he walked into um in the most recent test was perfect. The the platform had been built, and the amount of times you hear, well, this is the thing that Josh Butler's in the team. Oh, and he's plinked it to mid-wicket. He's plinked it to mid-on, he's plinked it to mid on. Like <laughs> invariably when he's in these situations, he mishits it early on. And off he walks for less than 10. It's like, oh, that was the situation. Oh, this is the situation. Moeen Alley's in the, oh, and Moeen's gone. As- okay, great. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to come off. We never seem to have that freewheeling, you know, blitz at the end to get the team on their knees. You know, it just doesn't seem to happen.
0: Yeah, it does. It's, it's really annoying because it should happen. Yeah. But one day it will happen. And I just hope I'm not too busy at work that I miss it and just watch Isha Gura and Michael Vaughan talk it through to me on the highlights later. But I enjoy it in the moment, as it's happening. The one time it's happened when it should have happened about 20 times.
1: Honestly, the last time I can basically remember this happening is when Bear hit it's first test century and Stokes went crazy in South Africa. That's like the last time I can remember him going Ponga. I know it has happened more recently, but it doesn't feel like it.
0: Yeah, certainly there was those days when it was like Prior, Broad and Swan,
1: was oh. slapping
0: it about after Cook, Pizza and Bell or whatever piled on a load of runs and you'd always get this you know, broad score of 50, Swan 30, Prior 110 and we scored 640 and we're... Yeah, they, those days feel like long ago. Alicon days. I don't know if I've said that right, but that's how Halcyon Alcyon days. That's what you're looking for. Well, I've absolutely bungled
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I would say I'll catch it in the editing, but I'm not very good at editing, so I'll probably just leave it in. Yeah. Uh, but though I'm feeling like you, I'm feeling more optimistic about the batting. I'm feeling better about this next team because it looks like, well, I don't really mind Butler being in the team, but so him going out's a bit sad actually. But Bersa coming in, I have a Lawrence or Pope taking a batting spot, which is kind of exciting. I kind of hope that Ollie Pope might finally score some runs, which would be very nice. You got Wotes coming back in for Cohen, which is a real improvement. You got Wood coming in for Overton, which I think is an improvement because Wood looked really good in that Lord's test. Unfortunately, Jardy's shoulder. Suddenly, you've got a bowling lineup of Robinson. Wood, Anderson, Wokes, Maureen. I mean, that's a good, particularly in English conditions, that's a really good bowling lineup and the batting's are a little bit better. So, actually, bloody exciting and roll on day one at the Oval.
0: Yeah, well, I'll see you there, Michael. Uh, let's have a little prediction. Two tests to go. We'll, we'll catch up next about the series after the Old Trafford test, I imagine. So, what do we think the final series score will be? 1 1 after three games. Where's it sitting after five?
1: So I'm going to say, with no benefit of hindsight, and in the optimistic state that I'm in, because England are doing well, and I think I texted you to say, we need to do a podcast, we're going to win a game. And I like doing podcasts when we've won a game. So I'm in that kind of mood. 3-1. Root's going to keep scoring tons. Jimmy's going to keep getting Kohli out. Who, by the way, we haven't talked about, but we haven't talked about the India team at all. But Kohli is on a terrible run of form over the last two years. He is the king of bilaterals in limited overs, but Tess, he can't score a ton. Yeah, we're going to win
0: 3-1. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit more negative. I think it's going to finish 2-2. I don't know which way round, but I think both teams, I think both teams are going to win a game. So I'm going to say 2-2 series finish. So um, both will end in results. If there's no weather getting in the way, I can't see either team batting out well, I, can see in, I could see India back enough time, but I, I just think we're, we're probably still fragile enough that a result within five days becomes quite likely, provided no weather gets in the way.
1: Well, English weather could play a part. These games are happening in bloody September.
0: Yeah, rainfall. although often low rainfall in September. We've had, we've had a very poor July and August. So I'm hoping for an Indian summer, which would be very fitting if we're playing India. So, uh, I'll tell you who is going to play in the next test, and that can make a real factor, is Ashwin. They shouldn't have picked
1: Sharma. Um, and Ashwin has played one game for so as an overseas player this summer. And I think he took about ten plus wickets. So Ashwin's gonna play at the overall, it's gonna turn. That's gonna be tough.
0: I know, yeah, hundred percent. He'll have a big make a big, big dent into I don't mean, think the England team will struggle against him more than just an, another seamer when you've already got Shami, Bumrah, Siraj.
1: Absolutely. And he lengthens the batting as well. So that could be a factor. But no, three one, three one. We're gonna we're gonna we're this gonna is- get it done.
0: Great. Well, Michael, look forward to catching up again about the series uh, in a couple of weeks. I'll see you on Thursday uh, at at the Oval itself, which will will be nice. And um, yeah, to all our listeners, we're back. Sorry for the delay. The the Series 3 that's lasted forever, but there's hardly been any episodes. We do apologise, but yeah, we'll be back for at least three or four before the summer of cricket is out although summer sort of i always feel summer kind of finishes the day after the last saturday of club cricket and that's this coming saturday so we have only got about six more days of summer but the cricket will continue for a little bit longer um but um yeah michael go well have a good one and i'll see you soon